Today, my guest is Colin Fraser, founder and managing partner at Nevis Capital, a consulting business focused on the future of work. Over the last decade and a half, Colin has worked in countless roles over over 10 plus industries and across four continents. He's also passionate about sustainability as a better way to do business and has helped organisations in tech, telco, banking and others incorporate this thinking. Colin's known for challenging the status quo. He describes himself as passionate about the intersection of technology, people and the environment and building businesses that thrive in the long term. And I'm thrilled to have Colin Fraser here with us at Tech Live. Welcome, Colin. Thank you for having me. Oh, it's, it's great gr- to be here. Yeah, it's really good. Lots to talk about. Always, always. So let's start with your profile photo. <laughs> sure. If, if sure. Anyone, Which one? <laughs> yeah, oh, yes, exactly. So if anyone's checked you out on LinkedIn mm-hmm. or sees your photo that goes out with this podcast, yes. how come you look so great and where'd you get oh, that yeah. outfit? I mean, the, it's the hairstyle that really says <laughs> off. Yeah. Um, how to have great hair. I think I should do a podcast just on how how to have great hair. Yeah, good. Um, it's it's AI generated. So it's a tool that I've been using um, sometimes with clients and sometimes not over the last kind of few months. It's called profilepicture.ai. And basically you, you upload a lot of source material. So I think it's around 20 photos or something. Uh-huh. And you try and give it a good selection of different shots of yourself. So some professionally taking ones, some selfies, um, some from group shots and sort of give it a, a flavor of who you are. Yeah. And what it will do is it will um, sort of generate anything from 100 to 500 images of you in different settings, different colors, backgrounds, um, different styles. Uh, and then you kind of pick and choose which one you like. And I guess it's one of those things that I feel like it represents kind of me on, on my best day. Yeah. Um, and when you go for a shoot, as you'll have done in professional shoots, yeah. sometimes those are not your best days. No. Um, and so you're kind of, you want a bit, a bit of sense of that, but I think it's a bit of fun as well for me because I'm talking about the future of work a yeah. lot. Then it's a really nice talking point to say, you know, this, uh, you know, this isn't actually me. You know, this is generative AI. It's yeah. not my face on someone else's body. Yeah. It's from scratch, built by the AI and try and interpret who I am. So I think it's a cool thing to It's really to talk interesting about. because that's what a photographer is trying to do in a photo yeah, shoot, trying to interpret who you are. Mm. How do they know what clothes to put on you? So it has a lot of different styles that you can apply. So um, it can be kind of formal, like business suit, like proper kind of uh, um, formal attire, and down to you know t-shirt, jeans, in a cafe. Like there's a, there's a, there's a whole different range of styles that you can apply to it, um, and it kind of makes its best guess at different different things that you want to see. So there's I think probably when you do it, like over the five hundred shots, I reckon that you know probably sixty or seventy percent of them are not quite what you're looking for and yeah. they're not great but f- i think it costs about 10 bucks or something right and so even if you get 20 25 shots that are good for different occasions then that's that's gold and a lot of the time like business execs don't have time to go and no. spend three or four hours on a shoot to get one look and one yeah. sort of style you need multiple styles for one for a podcast one for yeah. your linkedin bio one yeah. for something else um, and so I think it gives you that range. Um, not to say that this kind of puts professional photographers out, but I think there's something to be said for um, kind of the combination of the two. However, it must be disruptive, and that's what we're talking about today. Yeah, I and and that's kind of the theme of 
um, what I've been talking to mm. a lot of my clients about is I think the disruption that's happening now in 2023 is quite different to some of the disruption that's happened before. Yeah. And what I mean by that is um, some of the professions who have probably felt most protected mm. by their own intellect and their own capability, things like creative professionals and consultants, people like myself, yeah. who have kind of felt out of the realm of kind of uh, robotic automation. So if you think factories, manufacturing, manufacturing yep, yep. or even things like um, people, uh, administrative tasks like typing, right? Yes. A lot of typing has gone away because you can take a photo of a document and sort of scan it in, all that kind of stuff. Yeah. But now I'm, I'm what we're really seeing is that um, this generative uh, piece of technology, things that can be generated from scratch or given some source material can be quite creative. And mm. so I think a lot of these creative professionals like you know photographers and consultants and um, even doctors mm. things that are kind of have stayed out of the realm of, mm. of automation are now sort of really facing the reality of how do i sort of um embrace some of this technology to sort of supercharge myself or superpower myself so that i don't get swept up or taken over by some of this disruption that's coming and i think that's kind of where a lot of it's going is how can we best make use of the tools? So it's interesting because some of the professional services mm -hmm. industries that you're talking about um, tend to be quite conservative. So I'm thinking of a judge, mm. you know, a judgment that a that a judge presents, mm. delivers, there's a word, delivers, yep. is really long. Yeah. And I wonder... Um, you can obviously see how AI tools could help that, but I imagine there's going to be resistance in some um, more conservative professions mm. towards using tools that they would see perhaps as cheating. Yeah, absolutely. I think we're seeing that a lot in uh, finance, insurance, yeah. banking, um, industries that have lots of governance um, and yep. lots of guardrails around them yep. or have a heavy regulation. Yep. Those are going to be the industries that um, probably try and resist for the longest mm. um, and keep the sort of uh, regulated parts uh, solely in the sort of human kind of world. Mm. And I think it's interesting because I'm kind of conflicted on that. Yeah. Um, I'm, I sort of recognize why that seems useful and when you read some of the literature on some of these kind of generative ai models and some of the biases that come through mm. um that are created by the the bias and the and the text that they've learned right so all of these models like chat gpt or gpt4 um and bing ai they've learned through kind of all this bank of knowledge of human history that they've picked up over however many years and in that is a lot of bias yeah, and right. so you can propagate bias into into decisioning. And so obviously that's not a good thing when it comes to fields where you're trying to make a sort of logical, rational human decision. However, the, the flip side of that is judges today are already making judgments with bias of attached to them because their own learning is the same sort of knowledge book that yeah, you've right. given to the the engine, right? Yeah. And so it's quite interesting because there are some ways that if you know that's the case and you know that, that that there's bias, then how can we better adjust for that? Mm. And how can we make better models that's trying to take some of that bias out? And actually with a human, that's much harder to do. Yeah, really. That's so a really it's, it's interesting, quite interesting concept. So you're saying that you can be in, intentional about managing for the bias. Yeah, absolutely. Which you can't necessarily do, do with, with a human. human. 
Exactly. And so in some wow. ways, there, there might be some of that that plays out that says, well, actually, um, if could we make, because ideally what you're trying to do is make better decisions. So that's kind of the whole point of this whole thing is regardless of which field, whether it's medicine or legal or accounting mm. or consulting, you're trying to help whoever it is that you're on the, is on the other side make a better decision. Mm. And if you can do that by removing bias and um, sort of uh, propagating better thinking, then then maybe there's something in that and there's a tool that, that you can actually use. Interesting. So when we've talked about the future of work here mm. with the wonderful Maya Palaika, yes, it's really focused on people yep. on your team. Uh, when we talked about it pre-COVID, it was sort of quite cute and naive when you listen mm. back. We were talking about working from home mm. and, you know, that was the future of work and flexibility and and they kind of talked about it again with her about a year ago. It's so much more than that, isn't mm. it? So as let's let's kind of bring it to leaders of SMEs, mm, okay, mid-sized businesses. Yeah, yeah. Um, they're all grappling now with in the office, at home. Yeah. How many days? What's productivity? Absolutely. What's performance? What what should a leader of an SME really be thinking about now mm. with work in the future? Oh, I mean, I think. Just to take a step back, I think the what you touched on with Maya is really interesting mm. because the way I try and break down future of work is is kind of has three core components: um, social um, and society, and mm. that's really about norms, culture, even geopolitics. Whether you're in a democracy or an autocracy, like we're seeing a lot of these things kind of influence work. Mm. Um, technology, which we discussed, and sort of all the technological aspects, including training, skills, governance, the technology itself, and then environment. So, and when I say environment, I don't mean just kind of our natural environment, but I mean that kind of what you're talking about here, mm. which is what is the environment in which we live and work? And how is that, um, how is the intersection between the natural environment and what we need to do to sustain our resources and how we use them, intersecting with how our businesses happen right mm. so how are we using energy and water and resources um, minerals and how are people interacting with the actual physical sites and locations that we've got and that i think when you sort of when i work with clients and we sort of start with those three pieces generally you can't talk to all those topics at once no and so you have to have kind of breakout sessions and when i talk about the environment and we get into like what's the working environment how does it look i think it's hard right it's it's super difficult to see um kind of how how small businesses or small to medium-sized businesses should best think about their own context because every context is slightly different mm. in that if you've got frontline workers and back office workers in the same business mm. then if you um allow let's say remote work yeah then that can be seen as a perk that frontline workers can't get. And so frontline workers might say, well, we want something else. We mm. want um, additional pay or we want additional holidays to make up for the fact that you've let these other people, back office workers, work from home. And do you know what I think? I think as business and as a leader, we need to move away from working from home being a privilege. Absolutely. And coming into the office is a punishment. Absolutely. And, and that's something that I'm going to be steadfast on. Mm. That we're working uh, and we're working as a team and yeah, we're work, working towards a common goal and wherever you're doing it, 
we still have to be working with what the business needs right now. I'm starting to really notice this, this mm. idea that it's your um, – not being treated as well as someone else if you have to come into the office. Yeah, and absolutely. And yeah, and that's tough. I, I I think exactly the same as you. And I think the more that we talk about um, ways of work as being individual, both and unique to a set of circumstances. Yeah. Then I like that. Then we sort of move away from it being a perk and yeah. more about how we get the best out of someone, right? Mm. And so, the, in the in an old world, uh, someone who uh, worked really well on their own, might put their headphones on whilst yeah. they're in the office, right? Because yeah. they're trying to zone in on what yeah. they do. Whereas other people might work best by talking about things. Yeah. yeah. And so they would want to go in a, in a room somewhere and hash it out with mm. someone. And I think we're now seeing that play out kind of on a much larger scale, which is, mm. well, I kind of need to be at home for a certain amount of my week because that's when I do my best work. Mm. Um, and I think the other thing on remote work, which is interesting. I think if you watch some of the businesses in particularly in the UK and the US, um, we're seeing this kind of shift where businesses are sort of stepping past remote work or they're stepping past working from home and saying, okay, well, what, how can we uh, apply different models for different contexts? And some are going and saying, well, we know that you need some freedom and we know that giving you a sense of freedom some, for some portion of your week really helps you do better mm. work mm. so how about we go back to four days in the office but our fifth day is yours it's your your and let's try a four-day week mm. and so i think small to medium-sized business owners need to think um a lot about what their own context is mm. what's going to work mm. and talk with their employees yeah. about what the different ways of working are mm. and how might those be different for different people and how might their business be able to make a, a decision on, um, you know, how we all collectively do our best work? Mm. And and I think that's probably not a conversation that happens very often, mm. but I think it's one that really needs to be happening much more often. Um, and, and that also is not a set and forget type thing. Mm. That's the kind of decision that you want to be reflecting on probably every half year and saying, is this still working for people? Because as we know, context is shifting really quickly now at the macro level we've got covid kind of post-covid we don't know what the next thing's going to no. be we don't know what how these shifts are going to happen and so we need to be kind of on top of you know is this still working for our employees um and and having that personal and conversation i think it's a real challenge for leaders to be um aware of what's coming and to be thinking about that how do we do our best work and what's the context and what does the mm. context need yeah, I think that's uh, – and, in, of course, engaging the team is yeah, anything. Yeah, absolutely. So what are the – you know, some of the other trends you're talking about then as a as a mid-sized business mm. leader, um, you know, the technology is really interesting. Mm -hmm. Everyone can have a photo shoot for 10 bucks. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> You might even persuade me to update my seven-year-old uh, portrait <laughs> that I've been most reluctant uh, to change. But what? how does a leader, and you know our kinds mm. of leaders, Colin, you yeah, know absolutely. them so well, where do they start? Mm. And that, I think that's the key question really in all of this because if you spend any time whatsoever, and most leaders do, um, even if it's 10 minutes a day, on 
what's happening and just mm. sort of throw casting a wide net and saying okay what should i care about what what's in the news mm. what's important it's overwhelming yeah. i mean i'm overwhelmed and yeah. this is my profession and i've been doing it for 15 years yeah and the speed and pace of change now is so quick that it's really difficult for for leaders to kind of know and and the advice that i would give is is starting to break up the problem into more manageable chunks helps mm-hmm. And so that framework that I gave earlier of kind of the social pieces, the environmental pieces and the technology pieces, just tackle one, just choose one and and talk with your business and say, hey, we're going to do this one for this period of time. Maybe it's six months, maybe it's a year, maybe it's more. And just try and sort of hone in on one thing and then start from from basics Mm. and start from a place of understanding. Mm. Try and understand. And if if you as a leader um, don't feel like you've got the time or the capability or the knowledge base to kind of pick up stuff, find someone in your business who does. Yeah, well, that's what I was going right? to say. And, yeah. and often you'll find that there is someone in your business for each of those three areas. Social, and, and others. environment, technology. And, technology. Yep. and so you'll find that there are people who are passionate in your business about different things. Mm. And when you ask them about it, that might be helpful to you as a leader to say, hey, let's let's try and work on something together. Let's try and get a base of understanding. Mm. And then once we've got our base of understanding, Mm. spread that knowledge out to the rest of the business so that everyone's starting off from a level base. Mm. I'm I'm doing a workshop tomorrow with a group of executives and the first thing I'm going to do is try and level set and say, look, I know we've got a whole spectrum of people in the room. Some of you know what chat GPT is and how it works and probably more than I do. And some of you got no idea what I'm talking about. So let's get to a sort of base level of understanding what are we talking about? And at the at, at its core, these are things that are understandable to small business leaders. And so you kind of break it down. And then once you've got that kind of shared knowledge, then you can start dabbling and start playing with different tools. Mm. Find ones that work for your business and drop ones that don't. Mm. And so I think that's, and that sort of applies across the three areas is that you got to, you know, fig, choose a topic, mm. um, find a, a, a proponent in your business or someone to help you along um get a base understanding and knowledge and then start trying things because mm. if you don't try stuff mm. then you're probably not going to figure mm. it out um, and not going to be able to embrace these tools and so i think that's that's the advice i would give is like it's work right yeah it's not easy and it's yeah. not there's no silver. none of these things are silver bullets um and when it comes to the future making predictions is historically um unpredictable shall we say right some are really good and some are really bad and we don't make predictions because we're trying to be accurate we make predictions because we're trying to give ourselves a vision and a goal Mm. and somewhere to go right Mm. and we can plan towards that thing if we if we look towards the future and so i think with small business leaders who are who are keen to look to the future they're not making those predictions and dabbling with those tools for the sake of it they're doing it to drive themselves somewhere um which i think is important it it really is important well, actually, let me ask you, why is it important? <clears throat> why is it important? Um, yeah, good. I mean, it. I think it's funny you should ask that because I think sometimes I forget and sometimes, because I, I have run lots of small businesses and when you're in it day to day and you're just, you're just flying by the seat of your pants most of the time and you are living that experience 24 hours a day then it's hot then you know most of the time you don't have time to think about 
what's going to happen tomorrow, never mind six months or five years away. Mm. And I think the benefit of carving time out, whether it's once a month, once a fortnight, once a quarter, and a meaningful amount of time, a day or a half day, where you really start to push yourself and the rest of your business to think about where we, where we are going to be, why mm. we're going to be there, what we're going to be doing, what are our competitors going to be doing, what's the environment going to look like. Because, to, as I said, the importance of doing that is that you're projecting yourself into a future that you can control or influence, mm. right? And if you look back at all of the historical bad predictions of technology and good predictions of technology, the bad predictions are generally made by people who had something to lose. Yeah. Right? Or who was just scared. Yeah, exactly. Fear. Mm. And it comes from a place of fear. The good predictions generally come from a place where people had the ability to actually influence the outcome mm. and did so in a way that was generally positive or at least towards the end. Mm. Um, and I think so. If the, the importance of doing the exercise is that it gives you somewhere to go. It gives you a plan. It's like doing any vision setting or strategy yeah. setting yeah. session. It gives you um, a roadmap, right? It gives mm. you a place, you know, a direction of travel. Mm. Um, whereas sometimes when you're in it just day to day, you're only going to be doing just the same same thing over and over again. And some and this is the sad thing I think about small business these days is um, even five years ago, probably ten years ago, that probably probably be enough. Yeah, right. That was probably enough mm. that you had a great business. You had great cash flow and you were just doing what you were doing and you could just keep doing that. With the disruption that we just talked about, that might not be the case anymore. And that disruption is coming faster and more aggressively and it's coming from places that are completely out of left field. Well, there's more to it. I mean, before Christmas, no one was talking about chat GPT. No one. Absolutely. It's only, you know, in my world, three months. And suddenly it's, it's a here. thing <clears throat> and that that is fast. Look, I think that's a, a great conversation about why it's important. Mm. Just going back to the term level set, is that mm. what you're saying? Yeah. I really like that because the risk I think for small businesses is there's someone who's passionate about this mm. in the business, thinking about you in the, if, if you were you yep. without your experience and you'd be so into it and really passionate and a little bit geeky mm. about it. And that person could be just like, yeah, that's their thing. Yeah. But I really like that what level setting does is make sure that everyone has this common base level of understanding. And I think that's a really good Mm. place to start. And wherever you're going to get the knowledge to to do that, whether it's internal or external, that's what's really important and a great place to start for a small business. Absolutely. And I think... I mean, there's lots of literature on kind of the psychology of change that I think is important for small business leaders um, and understanding how how change um, propagates and how it happens. Mm. And I think part of it is really once you've got a change, you've sort of identified a change agent, right, which is Mm. your your person who's super passionate about it, you can't let it just live in that person. No. You've got to find a way for it to uh, normalize and come out of that person and, and be absorbed by the rest of the business. And that's this level setting exercise, which yeah. is, is about extracting sort of minimum sufficient information. Because yeah. clearly this person will 
always have a, a level of yeah. knowledge or insight above yeah. everybody else. That's fine. Or no interest. Uh, yeah. That's absolutely fine. And that can help drag your level mm. and your level setting exercise up again and mm. again and again. But for the first pass where you're going from sort of zero base and you're trying to get it out of someone, you're just looking at that kind of, me- what is minimum sufficient? What yeah. do we what do we really need to understand here? Yeah. What are the basics? And it's funny, I've got this this thing I was you know, workshop I was telling you about um, tomorrow. I'm going to try an exercise with some of the executives, which might feel a little bit cheeky, but I'm going to try it anyway. Um, and it's about how you can explain to someone uh, what uh, machine learning is mm. using knots and crosses, right? And so I thought I'd give this a shot on my six-year-old. I did it over the weekend. And it's quite an interesting exercise because um, it's a bit of fun. And yeah. uh, I tried it on him and and he was he got it, right? And he kind mm. of understood what I was trying to get across. Mm. And he's only six years old. So I thought, all right, well, this, this might have a chance of working because this idea that when you've got people who are generally smart in other fields, but they don't know anything yeah. about this particular field, what can you do? How can you use um, different tactics or techniques to show them something that they do know and explain to them kind of something that they don't know. Um, and that's kind of the beauty of doing a level set exercise and doing it across your businesses to say, let's let's all get on a common ground here. And it's clever doing something with knots and crosses that <laughs> everyone's happy enough with. Mm. We'll, so, see, we'll see how it goes. See, well, we'll see how it goes. Look forward to hearing. Okay, so the future of work, yep. social technology environment, that's it. Um, level setting and the importance of somewhere to start. Yeah. And, and you know, I've been in, in the corporate world for 24 years now and the pace of change is getting faster, mm-hmm. but this time it's really getting mm-hmm. faster. So it's it's a huge opportunity for mid-sized businesses and, and something Agreed. to um, at least make a start and be open to what's out there in the world around us. Yeah, so. agreed. I think just one last comment mm. on that. I think um, it's really interesting because what you just touched on at the end there about some of the biggest opportunities I think in this space are actually at the smaller end. Yeah. Um, so small to medium enterprises have traditionally struggled, I think, to sort of really fight pound for pound with some of the kind of biggest companies in the world because mm. they can throw yeah. so much money. Yep. R&D and technology and processes and tools and they can have the best of the best always, right? Mm. Whereas SMEs traditionally have had to be scrappy and Mm. fight and take what they can get and buy tools that are not fit for purpose and make them work. And what's interesting about this new disruption is that we were seeing a democratization of the best, literally the best tools in the world. So, you know, ChatGPT the premium version of it is $20 a month. Mm. It's there. Yeah. Right. That's the same tool that Microsoft's got and Google's got and Apple's yeah. got. Now you can get it for 20 bucks a month. Like how good is that? Like this democratization of creativity is flowing down to the smallest businesses such that it's not out of their realm anymore. It's mm. not out of their, out of their purchasing capability. Like you can have it if you want it, go and get it. And that's really exciting because now we're seeing the sort of best of the best pushed down and available for use. And I just, I'm really excited to see what people do with some of these tools. And that's where real change will happen. Mm. That was so interesting. Uh, It was great talking with you, Colin, about what's happening in the future of work, uh, made simple 
and aspirational and sort of a little bit scary and exciting all at once. Thank you so much for joining us on no Tech problem. Live. No problem. Thank you for having me. It was great.